Welcome to Tech on Reg, the podcast that explores all things at the intersection of law, technology, and high-regulated industry. We're talking fintech, regtech, sextech, and more with thought leaders and entrepreneurs from around the world to share insights, trade viewpoints, and get us all thinking about responsible innovation. And here is your host, Dara Tukowski. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Tech on Reg. First and foremost, I wanted to send a quick message to my listeners all over the world. I'm recording today in the midst of the COVID-19 global pandemic here in Chicago, Illinois. Bars and restaurants are closed. My three kids are home from school. Our governor just yesterday issued a shelter-in-place order, and we're still waiting for the availability of tests. I think it's probably the understatement of the century to say that it's a strange time. But before we get into the subject for today's episode, I really hope each and every one of you are staying safe, following the World Health Organization guidelines, and taking care of those around you. Each of us knows that we're dealing with really concerning and complicated times. So a sincere thank you in advance for your time and attention listening to this episode today, which I hope will take a little bit more of a glass half full approach to the way the world is presently changing, the long-term impacts that it's going to have, and what we can do to sort of stay together as a community and hopefully come out on the other end of this a whole lot stronger. Now on some more interesting stuff. Today, we're joined by Randy Rivera, Executive Director of Fintechs, a nonprofit trade association fueling the community of fintech innovation. Randy is also the principal uh, of business advisory firm Keen Advisors and co-founder, and full disclosure, also my business partner, of regtech company Cointech. Welcome to the show, Randy. Hey there, Dara. So today, Randy and I, we're going to try and break down some of what's happening in the business world around us and discuss the impact of the coronavirus and COVID-19 impact on business and perhaps even how the world is being disrupted in a good way, forcing business innovation. So Randy, before we get started, I'd love for you to spend a little bit of time talking about fintechs, its role in the ecosystem, and sort of what you do for the organization. Absolutely. So as you mentioned, Fintechs is a nonprofit trade association. We really focus on creating a community and fostering community amongst the uh, Chicago players that are interested in innovation and financial services. That's what everybody knows as Fintech. So our work really focuses on three main areas. First thing we do is amplify the great work that's being done by large and companies that are newer in the space uh, in Chicago. Uh, we have a tremendous diverse fintech uh, financial service economy that's really embracing the opportunities that come with technology and innovation. So amplification of that work is number one. Number two is to really create moments for that community to connect with each other and other thought leaders in the space. And so our aim with that work is really that they don't have to recreate the wheel if they don't have to, whether it be understanding the regulatory impact or consequence of a specific change in the law. Just learning from each other is really going to make that a lot easier for the company to grow quicker, more efficiently, and hopefully feeling like they're supported and along the way. And then lastly, it'd really be a bridge for markets across the states and internationally that want to connect with our members. We consistently get outreach from other folks coming in from other markets or from across seas that want to understand the work of the companies here in Chicago. 
the work of some of the leaders that are in town. Um, so we really facilitate that through our relationships with consulates and international partners and partnerships. And then vice versa, our companies grow and want to stretch out their outreach and their impact. And so what we try to do is as often as possible, be a great uh, resource for our member companies as well, so that they don't have to go out there and make those code calls. We have those relationships and can capitalize on what our warm friends and friendlies that we have across the states and the world. So it's not just it's not just a startup community, right? There is a lot of really big players um, who are members. You know the likes of you know Discover, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, Investnet Yodli. In addition to you know the the startups and you know mid-sized companies, people at different level levels of capital raises. So it's a really sort of diverse mix, right? Absolutely. I mean, through relationship, and sometimes it helps through relationships like Discover. Discover uh, has historically been the sponsor for our startup membership scholarship. So if you're a company that's coming up brand new, you are able to get a sponsorship of your your membership dues because of Discover and the eagerness to participate and help companies develop and innovate on an earlier stage. So uh, it's a broad spectrum. And we have very interesting conversations uh, with all of our members, but the great thing is that it creates a tight community of people with a shared interest. And one of the parts about the organization that I in particular love giving, you know, sort of the priorities in my life, I, I really love FinTech's FinTech Women, sort of subcommittee and organization and all of the focus on diversity and inclusion that takes place. And I know we're going to have to figure out a, a new way to sort of have those events since none of us are allowed to be in the same room with each other right now. But I know that's a focus of the organization. Absolutely. And I'd love to, uh, if you're open to it, Dara, have another sit down with you to talk a little bit more about some of the amazing accomplishments of some of those women that we get to call part of our network, but more importantly, friends. Yeah, we've got some rock stars on the roster, I think. No, Randy, I know you spent many years working within the financial services industry at JP Morgan, BBVA Compass. And if I recall correctly, you were sort of right in the thick of it during the 2008 global financial crisis. I guess in your view, what the world is experiencing now, how similar or dissimilar is it to sort of what you were seeing in 2008 when the markets were falling, banks were closing, and the financial services world was, you know, for lack of a better phrase, like sort of crumbling around us? Yeah, so... I guess I'll start with the dissonance. So what's dissimilar first? Because I look back at that moment in time, there are some things that are definitely unique about where we are today. You know, I'm coming off of a week where my daughter's school was canceled for the rest of the year or closed for the rest of the year. Uh, They'll do the e-learning, but it's not the same. That means seniors aren't going to prom. They're not going to graduate. It means their last goodbye is a rushed one. That human dissimilarity is very different than what I remember in 2008. Um, there's a lot of human moments. You should be able to hug people to comfort them, your friends. And we're now relegated to our homes to deal with this issue remotely. So that part of it is really important to, to say, because when I look back at the financial crisis, I felt a lot of anxiety, but I also felt like I could commit, you know, I had friends or people, colleagues and, and leaders and mentors I can count on. Uh, in this environment, it's you can only count on your family in your home and in the confined space. So that's very, very. This it's forcing us to use digital, not only in our professional lives but now in our personal lives to try to. Remove- I was going to say we can also count on Zoom, right? Right, exactly. So things like Zoom are, uh, are are the norm now. 
By the um, way, congratulations, like side note, congratulations, Zoom for, you know, in this, in this market, while everything is, you know, stock prices are falling into the toilet. Congratulations, Zoom on like your 50% increase in stock price in 36 hours. Absolutely. And uh, don't forget the toilet paper companies. Uh, They're quite in vogue as well, as well yeah, as the That's absolutely right. Let's talk about what's the same and, so, and what we can learn. Right. Yeah. And that, that's kind of one of the things that folks around me ask me why I'm not freaking out more. And it's because I went through 2008, but I also went, lived through Hurricane Sandy while I was in New Jersey. That was in 2012. At that point, the most expensive hurricane to hit the United States. I think it cost the United States like $70 billion to recover from that in one very confined area. Um, but when I look back, the things that got us through and the people that I w- appreciate working with and the leaders that stood out, stood out for reasons that are still relevant today with things that we can apply. First of all, they were empathetic. Um, and that's one of the things that I remember. Empathy wins and being a leader that understands, tries to take a moment to think about what their employees are feeling, what their clients are feeling, really makes a difference. And I'm seeing it already because I've, I touch different uh, communities and I'm, I obviously interact with professionals around the world. And what I'm seeing is that the folks that are take a breath in and use that opportunity to instead of breathing out frustration and anxiety, create an environment where people could be themselves and be human, release that, that, the emotion, but then also allow themselves to think. I think that's the second thing the leaders that are standing out are the ones that remember to focus on what's important. So it's always a moment where you freak out and then you realize you still have to move on. And what that moving on component is, is why it's relevant is if you have your business priorities of what it is you really need to accomplish, moments like these are where they should be shining really, really bright. Um, And that the leaders that are able to think about, okay, I know we had other goals this year. Those are really relevant, but really focusing on what's important is those are the ones that stand out. And then lastly, execution is what's worshipped. And I I got that from you, Dara. It's one of your favorite lines. But that's the thing. It was actually one of Pitbull's favorite lines that I commandeered as my own. The full quote, because we have to give Pitbull his due, is that ideas are rewarded, but execution is worshipped. And yes, I do think right now, especially since we're all having to execute from our home offices, it certainly will be. And, you know, hats off to every single person who's getting their job done while waiting for their kid to bust in their their home office in the middle of a Zoom video conference. Right, right. No, I agree. So, but I think that that's the shout out to the 305 and that's right. Miami crew. But I think that's the key, the key that what, what is similar is that having a plan and focusing on executing is what's going to get you through it. And that's encouraging because we've all been there before, at least a lot of the professionals that I've worked with, everybody's been through these challenges, but the playbook is consistent. Focus on what's important and execute. All right. So I want to move into fintech, what the ecosystem and community is talking about right now, because I think that reading thought leadership right now, and there's been so much written online in the past week or so about potential opportunities, where we see the pain points for fintech, and sort of what this means for financial services in general. I think sort of common wisdom is really across the board as to what is going to happen, whether or not this is going to be good, whether or not this is going to be dangerous and problematic, whether or not this is really going to force companies into uncomfortable positions and the people who put their heads down and execute, huh? see, see me bringing that full circle, might come out a lot stronger. And then there's going to be some who are going to be sort of left in the dust. 
as someone really with their finger on the pulse of what the fintech community is doing and feeling right now, what chatter have you heard? I guess unsurprisingly, we expected this, but you don't know until you're tested. People were relatively prepared for this with the remote, the working remote. And uh, that's been a really, really great uh, realization of, of validation of, of a lot of the plans that people had. Um, and it's not a surprise for the fintechs. They're generally pretty agile and have been forced to work in environments of fast growth and change and they're lean. But the large companies have really been smart about leveraging technology to their advantage. Um, so as a consequence of that, those that banks and those companies that banked on digital are taking are getting the payoff. And there's a good example in a company uh, named Blend, it's a digital mortgage software, and they have 230 banks on their platform. That company uh, year over year has seen a 2,000% increase in refi activity. And they're seeing a 95% increase activity in purchase mortgage origination off their platform. So you wonder, oh, well, what's that? Does that meaningful? Is that amount, what does that amount to? Is a small startup, 2,000% is pretty easy. These folks are doing $8 billion in volume a day. And what you're starting to realize is that the banks that came prepared and took the, did the hard work of getting ready for the digitization of society are now able to capitalize on people that want to have to refinance their mortgage or sitting at their house right now and are able to do so through the computer. I was going to say, you know, uh, an example like that, a company like Blend, a digital mortgage software, I think right now, especially with the Fed lowering rates and the relaxing of some liquidity requirements of the banks and making all of this capital available, particularly at the consumer level, it would surprise me, right, if everybody was running out and being like, let's buy real estate because um, nobody can look at property right now because we're all stuck in our houses. But the, the refi opportunity, I think, brings up a really important point. Do you think Blend through the next several months is going to continue to see that growth and activity? They will. And this might be a tick in terms of an extreme. But remember, this tick in 2009, 10, 11 people were refinancing because rates were lower, was being done all with it respectively within banking institutions. So uh, the efficiencies weren't necessarily there. I remember getting a mortgage in 2011. It was a pain. And the other thing that's happening is data collection is now being funneled through one channel. These companies that are able to take the software are also going to learn more about the consumers that are applying for loans. That's going to have significant consequences, both good and some interesting, unknown, uh, in terms of Historically, the banks have been able to garner all this data by themselves. Now they're using other platforms. So it'll lead to very interesting discussions. But the It'll lead to very interesting discussions because, at least in the United States, the privacy legislation surrounding what these companies are or aren't allowed to share and use. And consumers have rights today that they did not have back then uh, in terms of data aggregation. So I, I think from a legal and regulatory perspective, it'll be interesting. So certainly there is the opportunity to learn as long as sort of the regulators don't get in the way of that. Well, I think that you always take the legal route, Dara. I appreciate that approach that you have. What I'm, I, my angle that I find interesting is how do companies try to imitate what Marcus is doing, right? And now, if I, if you're telling me I can have the tech that's as good as a big bank to compete, I just need capital and. If I can have the sufficient capital to originate these loans, I can compete on a level with banks. All of a sudden, that disruption has, you know, it, it is what happens. New markets are created. The, the, the technology can has a tendency to flatten the playing field. So there's, there's various, various consequences. But the point is, banking on digital worked. 
and those that did are reaping the benefits. Another thing that I've seen, and you mentioned privacy, but there's a lot of, because of this, this virus and the pandemic that we're dealing with, there's a spike in scam and hack activities. And you don't, you can look around the world, but um, particularly in Europe, you're seeing a lot of attempts to take this fear, this human emotion, cause, make it create a reaction and by way of the internet and scammers and folks are using that opportunity to hack into a lot of the institutions that we know and trust or to try to at least the reason yeah so really- one one phishing scam in particular so all all of my listeners should pay attention to this is there's a very active phishing scam happening right now particularly taking advantage of sort of the remote working situations that companies are dealing with specifically around fake emails from government institutions, fake emails parading as the World Health Organization, claiming to provide you information, click here if you want to learn more or want to get the latest statistics, so on and so forth. When in doubt, do not click. But the those sorts of scams are absolutely rampant right now. I've had clients calling me with all sorts of crazy, crazy situations and scenarios. And what I used to do, so the reason it's relevant, again, until going back to 2008, I used to work at a big financial institution. We'd have fake communication going out. You get everybody in the room and you say, guys and girls, get your, get, keep, stay, keep your eyes peeled, call your clients, let them know all these scams. This is all remote now. So that's a big consequence a lot of CEOs are dealing with. Actually, uh, to the extent that your organization hasn't employed some sort of, you know, really enhanced technology to sort of continue to warn employees and alert employees. You know, we've all got filters on, um, but we know that things get past the filters. One really interesting company that I've had experience working with, Randy, and I know you have too, is an organization called Message Control. And we've had really a lot of success in alerting our, our personnel to really, really sophisticated phishing scams. So if anyone's interested in that, you should totally check them out my organization has had great success working with them. Yeah. And I think that that's, again, uh, it has to be part of your plan. You can't retreat and expect to take the technology away as a tool for your employees because there's a lot of anxiety and fear about losing business momentum. A lot of companies are having to stay engaged using technology platforms. Um, One that really stuck out is a company called Symphony. And it's a secure file transfer system used by uh, the likes of JP Morgan, Citadel, Citibank. Those platforms are seeing record activity. A lot of trading platforms use it to trade files. So historically, there's been an anxiety around sharing tax returns, bank account statements, wire information on things like new technologies that may not have been tested. I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but the newer the tech, the, the, the more hesitancy there's been to do so. Companies like Symphony RC have, have proven they have done the work to protect the system and have met the, the requirements of their, their client base to continue to be, to be approved to be used to their system. They're seeing record volume in terms of, of the information that's being transferred through their platforms. So those, that's a chatter that I'm hearing from a lot of the client, a lot of the, the founders and the members and the, comp, the, the companies that we, that we engage with. So some experts right now are opining that as the pandemic continues to unfold around the globe, it's shining a really bright light on issues that we all knew were issues, but are sort of forcing innovation now because there's such an intense focus on them. 
One expert from New Zealand, James Brown from FinTech NZ, recently opined that the virus has already resulted in more awareness, for example, of insurance and could increase demand for health, life, business coverage, business interruption, and in particular, sports, music, and conference event cancellation coverage. According to Brown, he said that companies that really invested in the fintech products are much more likely to survive that outbreak uh, as technology could really help them connect with their customers and continue engaging in secure and sensitive conversations. And according to him, he says that we could see the future of work here and that COVID-19 is really accelerating and forcing the coming together of both digital and physical assets. Randy, really interested sort of on your thoughts on that perspective. Do you think innovation is now going to be forced on those institutions who've been late adopters or as they like to call themselves fast followers? Or is it a sign that business needs to really double and triple down on their digital strategy? So I think that the answer to this question is an absolutely duh. Yes, yes and yes. Yes and yes. Then the question becomes how. And I think this is where you're seeing different strategies. A lot of institutions are realizing they can't innovate fast enough to keep up with the market. So they're doing acquisitions at a significant pace that in some cases, I mean, we were on the same track for acquisition activity as last year on the M&A front. So I think that's the, that's the one, one way it's happening. But other institutions are trying to pick the right vendors, pick the right partners as they go through and, and incorporate or update, refresh the digital strategy. I was just in the, on the phone with a big financial institution last week. We know budgets will be cut as a result of what we're going through right now. So they're really trying to be snipers around where their partnerships are going to get the biggest return. You know, I think other pressures that are changing, I mean, Square just got a, con- a, con- a conditional license to be a bank. In the great state of Utah. In the great state of Utah. That's going to put a lot of pressure on small community and regional banks. Again, Square is a technology company. No bones about it. They have not hidden around it. They have, they've, they've been able to use data in a much more efficient way than a lot of the larger, a lot of large institutions. So I think ultimately, what does this mean? I think it means increased consolidation because you're going to find players can't survive in the new, in the new norm. And I think that on the large end of the spectrum, when you have the big financial institutions, we're going to have some testier conversations between Amazon, Google, Facebook, and the JP Morgans, Bank of America, Wells Fargo's. And that'll be, I mean, we've, we've already tend to see if you go to any large fintech conference, you see the, the financial institution booths and the technology booths, and the world is starting to come to a place where eventually- We're getting smaller. Yeah, we're not getting bigger from that We're getting point. smaller. So, you know, I don't, I, as you acknowledged before, I like to think about what the impact is going to be sort of to our regulatory environment um, and in a period of rapid change, ensuring that new products and services can be offered because they need to be offered really requires a lot of sort of regulatory coordination and cooperation. How does fintechs work with regulators to sort of communicate that need for innovation to, you know, on behalf of its members, on behalf of the ecosystem, to those making the rules? Well, first and foremost, we go in, right? We look at our network and we look at our larger institutions. What are they doing? How are they coping? What's their approach? Uh, and we try to use our, our platform to highlight where we see uh, things are being done 
in the, the best way. And so at the end of the day, imitation is the highest form of flattery and we know that, but we don't need to come up with a new way every single time. So number one, if you look at our, our members, find out what they're doing and then try to share that with the rest of our group, with the rest of our members. Um, we have a newsletter that we send out to our membership on a monthly basis. We try to incorporate there any changes that are coming up, particularly on the regulatory front. So we're proactive around things that are coming down the pike. But then we, when we, those changes happen, we leverage multiple touch points. We used to have events. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think that'll be one We did. We did used to have events. Um, but we're going to find everyone new ways. Everyone did. Right. Everyone did. Um, but we're going to find ways to do it. Last year, we had two former state regulators on, on the dais with you, Dara. I don't know if you remember. I think you're kind of the host. Um, yeah, I do remember. Thank you. But the uh, the idea is to get those interactions um, on a digital platform so that our members can can leverage it. So we anticipate a lot of this. T- the the way you regulate digital economies has to be different than the way you re- regulate incumbent economies. And I think that we do not anticipate that changing. I mean, when companies like Goldman Sachs put together a business that in 2016 was $2 million in revenue, and now in 2019, it's $860 million in revenue, the regulators notice. So The New York Department of Financial Services has noticed. They noticed. So they I noticed. Think we, I think we'll see that continue to, to change. And so it's really important that we stay on top of it, continue to be a resource for our members. So everyone should be watching out for FinTech's webinars coming. They should. Yeah. My, my aim is to keep them as fresh and as informative as possible and consistent. So what do we think about the notion uh, of relaxing some regulation during this time. I think we've already seen, you know, the OCC in the U.S. relaxing liquidity rules for banks to free up some cash for lending. Banks have more than doubled their capital and liquidity levels over the past decade and seem substantially safer and stronger than they were previously. So we're not dealing with a situation like we were in 2008. And I think as a result, the agencies, OCC particularly, are encouraging banks to use that strength to sort of support household and businesses. The OCC has actually issued an interim final rule to use the firm's capital buffers to sort of promote lending activity to both households and businesses. You know, in the US, we're seeing the availability of the SBA loan disaster for economic injury, loans being made to small business. Any thoughts on that? Do you think we're going to see more? Do you think the regulators are are done doing what they're doing? So we're in a period, again, of a lot of anxiety. And uh, when I hear elected officials from both sides of the aisle saying that we just need to save the country, that's priority number one. Uh, that means that a lot of experimentation will happen. And I think that we got to proceed with caution. As my, if I, if, if, you know, as I talk to our members and as I give folks my perspective after living through the 2008 crisis, proceed with caution in terms of the business decisions you make. The environment that we have today may change significantly in 12 months. And why is that? Number one, the increase in, of online lender activity means that there's a lot of private capital providing liquidity to consumers and for insignificant amounts enough to disrupt the overall industry. We don't know what that means to those loans over the course of a recession. I, w- I, w- I was, I was going to say, I think we should, I think it's worth taking a pause to sort of talk about our online lenders. They're a significant and important part of the fintech ecosystem. And I think given the age of many of these companies, many online lending models really have yet to be tested because they haven't endured a cycle through a recession, let alone a global pandemic. And, you know, it's not 
rocket science when consumers hit hard times and can't pay all of their bills, forcing them to choose which ones to pay. According to William Ryan, managing director uh, at investment bank Compass Point, personal loans are really the lowest on that totem pole. And that's what most of these you know, online, online lenders are doing. What are your thoughts there? So I think you're going to see there's two consequences that we need to manage. One is the portfolios themselves. The algorithms, we've been waiting for 10 years to see how these uh, these portfolios were going to behave when they came across the first significant bump in the road. And this was not a bump. This is a pretty severe hole that we hit um, in the economy with uh, the virus. So we got to keep an eye on what that looks like. And these algorithms are going to be tested. The the dynamic of these companies not being banks that historically have been regulated as financial institutions makes for um, it makes it more challenging to understand the reality of what's really in the tranches of these portfolios that are being created. So keep a close eye on those portfolios. But secondly, because we've never seen this environment or never we've never been in an environment where so much credit has gone out through unregulated channels, the regulators are going well, to... Well, wait, 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 wait. I have to correct you there. They are certainly regulated channels. Not regulated is, like banks. They're differently regulated. Some would argue that they're even more regulated than many of the OCC chartered banks. Well, c- correct, Tara. I, I, I just don't I, want my, my listener. Reference... I don't want my listeners thinking that online lenders aren't regulated. We all know that they are. I'll clarify my point. Not regulated as financial institutions. Historically, banks have been regulated. That's the point I wanted to make. The point is that the regulators regulate them differently, and um, because they regulate them differently, is really is going to be interesting to see what happens. Now we have an election coming up in November. I don't know if you've heard about that. I have. Yes. It's been on the news a little bit where it's primary season just ended here in Illinois. And these regulatory organizations really are driven by the tone of the leader who's in office. So I, I would say if I, as, a, as an executive at one of these lending companies, uh, you just have to really be perceived with caution over the course of the next year and be particularly thoughtful and intentional about creating flexibility and in really looking at the information real time as you make decisions, as opposed to committing to one, let's just grow at all all costs, because there's going to be consequences both on from the business side in terms of the risk you're taking, and also the regulatory side in terms of the questions you're going to have to answer as these portfolios behave differently. So the last topic I wanted to, to chat about, I think is indicative of sort of, I'd say, you know, when we deal with sort of crises, I like to think that, you know, I think about, you know, a Mr. Rogers quote, and, you know, when you look around and something bad is happening, there are always helpers, always look for the helpers. I'd say that we already see the fintech ecosystem really stepping up in terms of what's happening around the world. And I thought it was, you know, worthwhile to note some of the really great uh, and gracious work that members of the ecosystem are doing. You look at a student debt fintech startup called Roundup to Zero, um, and they've announced that they're going to be opening up their platform to help organizations drive donations to the global fight against COVID-19, and will also be donating a portion of their own proceeds to the COVID-19 Solidarity Response Fund organized by the World Health Organization. You've got UK-based fintech Paysend announcing a guide for money transfers by expats and foreign workers to countries affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. And Payson has stated that 
because the pandemic has affected customers of traditional money transfer platforms and you know high street banks, remittance outlets and post office have really re- been rendered ineffective. So according to them, they're starting zero fee money transfers to China and currently in the process of developing more initiatives to assist countries that have been severely affected by the coronavirus. And I read stuff like that and you know in the midst of so much sad, I think it's really uplifting and great to see our ecosystem and our community really stepping up to use the power and technology and platforms that they have to try to help. I agree. And I think the other work that's being done, and I, I you know, it's actually interesting, uh, is the work that I would say is standard operating procedures. So everybody's heard of Revolut. It's an online bank. They just came out with a product uh, that's really focused on teaching kids how to spend. So, you know, I think sometimes we take for granted during these moments of crisis that sometimes the best thing that you can do is what you did, right? And so the company's coming up with solutions and continue to proceed forward with things that, in this case, can teach a kid how to have healthy, thoughtful, and um, responsible spending behaviors and saving behaviors will lead to more informed consumer down the road. Those things really do make a difference. And we see it again, um, you know, even locally here in town in Chicago, I spent a lot of time with a gentleman by the name of Dan Rogers, uh, Daniel Rogers from AM Money. And they're a student loan company that really focuses on helping communities that have historically been underbanked tap credit at a market price for the paying of college tuition. Those things really matter. Supporting those organizations that we've supported or um, have been supporting in the past are really what's going to help us continue to make it so that when we get through this tunnel, there's still more good work to be done and more more success to celebrate. So I uh, I agree and I, I'm a big believer in using technology to democratize access to financial services. Uh, my hope is that we continue to support the organizations doing so. Yeah, and we certainly need it now more than ever. Well, Randy, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for your time. I hope you and your family are staying safe and healthy and washing your hands. So uh, until next time, thanks everyone for listening. Thank you for having me, Dara. It's been a blast. 